Good morning. It's uh, it's great to be uh, back. Thanks, Pastor Raphael, for this kind introduction. Uh, we I've I've spoken all over the world um, uh, in many different countries, many different congregations, but uh, this is really like uh, like like home, uh, and it's it's a joy. So be nice to me afterwards. Um, invite me for lunch. No. I'll, I have some interesting stories about being invited for lunch after church, uh, but that's for another time. Uh, Pastor Raphael asked me to talk about the, the, the mission of the church, um, and, uh, and that is one of my favorite subjects. So I apologize uh, beforehand for maybe getting a little bit preachy or passionate at some point uh, in the, during during. Our, our morning, because I really believe and I, I pray that this morning might be a whole shift. I've seen when we talk about and really study what's on the heart of God when it becomes uh, to, to his heart for this world, uh, that even some Christians who have been Christians for, for many, many years, all of a sudden had a new kind of conversion, a new kind of way of seeing things. And that's what I'm uh, hoping and, uh, and praying for this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Mark chapter 9. Uh, we will look at Mark chapter 9 together. And I will not read the whole chapter, but I'll kind of go through it with you a little bit together. And I will encourage you to just read that chapter maybe during the week to kind of remember maybe some of the points that I mentioned. But just I feel Mark chapter 9 for me summarizes um, the whole heart of God and the mission of God in one chapter. So it's one of my favorite chapters, actually, in the Bible. So Jesus takes uh, Peter, James, and John onto a mountain. And if you've been around church, you maybe know this story. Uh, in, in the Bible, it's called the uh, Transfiguration on the mountain because something special happens on this mountain. Now, Jesus somehow chose Peter, James, and John. And we kind of skip over this because for us, kind of, we know the story maybe and we think this is normal that he just chose these three people. Now, I wonder, you know, how the other disciples felt <laughs> because they would experience something on the mountain and sometimes we think that in church everything needs to be fair. Everybody needs to be treated equal. <laughs> and, and if we studied Jesus, Jesus didn't even do that. He had a ministry to hundreds of people, sometimes thousands. Then he had his 120, then he had his 12, and now he even chooses three to have a unique experience um, with him. So next time you're a little mad uh, that maybe uh, you are not chosen, <laughs> just remember that this already has happened to some of the best disciples. But he chooses the three, and on the mountain, they experience something they will never forget. On this mountain, all of a sudden, next to Jesus appears Elijah and Moses. And if you know anything about uh, the Old Testament, these are the two biggies. <laughs> they are the rock stars of the Old Testament. And so all of a sudden, imagine you have Jesus... Elijah and Moses, and they start to talk. 
and they have all of a the sudden they are standing in the presence of God. All of a the sudden they are they, they they have a moment they will never forget. I I believe you know P Peter because he normally can't shut up. He on the way down with the disciples he will go like oh you will not imagine what we experienced. <laughs> he will rub it into them <laughs> because on that mountain something. Beautiful happened. Elijah, Moses, and Jesus are talking. And let's just pause here for a second because I still believe that part of the good news and part of what God wants to, to do in this world is actually invite us to have these moments on the mountain. These moments that take our breath away. These moments where God speaks to our heart, where, where we experience something and we are changed afterwards. Moments where basically maybe an understanding of God in our heads moves down 20 centimeters to our heart and our soul. And everything is different. So the story of our family is that I, I did not grow up in church, even though now we're all sitting here, or most of us, my mom uh, is, is not here today, but my dad and my my brother and my his wife and uh, I see Cedric and uh, we'll have to check on the other boys. Uh, with three boys, there's always one missing. But now we're in church, but we did not grow up in church. I actually, uh, once a year, we went to church, as good Germans uh, do. We uh, went for Christmas uh, uh, to church. Um, and so now I experience that some people have you know, experience bad childhoods because of what they experience in church. Um, I my my church experience from my childhood is great because you you go to church, and then you get a lot of presents. It was every time I went to church, I got a lot of presents because we went back home and there was Christmas Eve, and it took me a while to realize there are not presents every time you go to church. But that was kind of the only experience, and then Chris kind of was invited to uh, to be part of a, a Boy Scout uh, with with a friend and, and started to talk to me about God. Um, and and I was like, I will figure this out on myself, by myself. And so I started to kind of really read some, some stuff about different religions and about uh, uh, the Bible and Jesus. And uh, it was kind of a, a journey. And, and I came across this one Bible verse that says, if you seek God with all your heart, you will find him. And I thought, I can do that. I cannot find God, but I can seek him with all my heart. So as a humble German, I told God, you have two weeks <laughs> where I will seek you with all of my heart. <laughs> and at the time, I... I was uh, planning to go to England for a retreat to actually learn English. And it turned out to be a Christian retreat. And I thought this is a perfect example, a perfect time for my two weeks uh, uh, to, to seek God. Now, if you don't grow up in church, this is kind of weird. Everybody hugging, everybody smiling. <laughs> but I kind of said, God, you have these two weeks. So first day goes by, they have, they have something like a service. And after this, there's music, and they make it all emotional. So I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll sit there, and I say, God, I'm here. But nothing happens. 
Then they invite for, for, for communion, for the Lord's Supper. Now, if you did not grow up in the church, this is really weird. Somebody inviting you to eat somebody else's flesh and drinking somebody else's blood. I'm like, where I come from, we don't do that. But I thought, we have a deal. Two weeks, I will do anything. And then it turned out, they said, you know, no, 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 this is just representing. It's, it's wine and, and bread. And I was like, ooh. And I take communion, and then I realize, hey, I'm happy it's not blood, but they cheated me. It wasn't wine either. It was grape juice. But, but nothing, nothing happened. So I kind of gave up on it. Kind of in my heart, I kind of said, God, yeah, your, your time is running out. I'm still here, but I'm, I, I feel like I've, I've tried and I've, uh, I've wanted, but, but w why is nothing happening? And it was the last day. Somehow God has his way. I should have said one week rather than two, but on the last day of that deadline, basically I'm sitting there in, in a service and they, they show an old piece of uh, a, a short scene of the old Jesus film. <clears throat> Maybe some of you have seen it, the old Jesus film that is shown all around the world, especially in the de developing countries where, where sometimes that's the first movie they ever see on a screen and uh, uh, all over the world uh, millions have become Christians because of that film. Now I grew up with James Bond so this film was not really kind of my standard of expectation because Jesus is hanging on the cross and, and he has actually ropes around him holding him on the cross because they didn't know how to you know put him on the cross without the ropes and, and making it more authentic. But these two minutes all of a sudden I see this on, on the screen and I realize in my heart somehow I hear a voice that says, Philip, this is how much I love you. And in an instant, every doubt, every, every conviction was, was gone. I, I started to get goosebumps. I, I started to get a big smile. I wanted to hug everybody, even though I'm not the biggest hugger. I, I went outside and just sat there and, and looked under the sky and, and, and I was smiling. People thought I smoked something, but, but I was so excited. I was so happy because all of a sudden that, that question, is there a God or is there not a God, was solved. Now, I can walk away today from God, but I can never walk away from knowing that I had this experience. Now, this is what can happen when we are having this experience on the mountain. I don't know if you know Blaise Pascal. If you know him, you will not lie. You, you don't like him because he lied down the basic principles of calculus. So imagine the most dry mathematician writing in his journal the following words. 10.30 p.m. I found him. Not the god of the philosophers. Not the god of the theologians, scientists or scholars. No, the God of Abram, Moses, and Jacob. Fire, joy, fire, joy, fire, joy, fire, joy, unspeakable joy. This is what happens when we have these moments on, on the mountain. And let me just say that if you have never experienced this, I, I want to invite you to open up, maybe you give God two weeks. Maybe you, you, th this morning can be the morning where all of a sudden God, God can speak into your heart and, and 
give you a mountaintop experience. If you, after the service, want to pray with one of us, please come. We really believe if, if we would have a time of testimony, there are people here who could share the same thing. Yes, fire, joy, fire, joy, love entered my heart, my life, because I had this mountaintop experience. You don't have to leave without maybe inviting God for you to have an, a similar experience. God is in the business of having these mountaintop experience with people. And if you have if you ever had this experience, you understand what in Mark chapter 9 happens next. Peter looks around and says, this is good here. We're in the presence of God. There's Moses, there's Elijah, there's Jesus. And it's the only time in the Bible that Peter is humble. Because he actually says, Let's build three huts. Let's build three churches up here and stay in the presence of God. He doesn't even need a hut. He says there's one for Jesus, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. We don't even need a hut because if you've ever been in the presence of God, you don't, you just want to hang out. You just want to be close. But Jesus does not say, this is a great idea, let's stay here. He didn't say, for this reason I have come. Let's all stay on the mountain, sing Kumbaya and wait and, and celebrate and talk about the good old stories about what we've experienced on the mountain. Let's have another Bible study. Let's have another worship evening. No. He immediately says, let's turn around and go down. And what we hear, it's a demon-possessed valley. He's asking people to join him in going down. The first encounter is a demon-possessed child. Then he tells his disciples that he will die. And then he tells them, whoever wants to be the greatest needs to be a servant. He calls them from that mountaintop experience into the valley, the demon-possessed valley, the mess, the chaos of this world. And we have to realize Jesus is not on the mountain anymore. Even if we stay, even if we want to keep hanging out there, he's not on the mountain. And I've experienced many churches. Yes, we have experiences on the mountain. But then if we want to stay close to Jesus, we are following a Jesus who is going down into the darkness of this world, who is going down where the people are hurting, where people are suffering and where people are crying. And he wants to bring that good news, that mountaintop experience into this world. And if you want to be close to Jesus, you better be on the way down. Even though everything in me wants to stay on the mountain. One theologian put it this way. He said, we are Easter Sunday people who live on Good Friday. We've experienced the resurrection. We've experienced that there's hope. But if we look around, there's still so much brokenness so much betrayal, so much suffering, so many shattered dreams and even death. But we know that Easter is coming, that we don't have to give up hope, that the last word is not, has not been spoken, that we can hold on, that new creation is breaking forth. Which brings us to the heart of the message of, of Jesus. 
Jesus only had one message. He only what he called one gospel. The gospel in Greek is good news. But I'll be honest. I have asked hundreds of people, Christians, some of them been Christians for 50 years and more, explain to me what the gospel is. And they either don't know how to explain it or they explain it in a way that is not really true. But if we understand it, it can transform our whole life. The gospel in, the, in, 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 in scripture, in, in the gospels, is, it never comes alone. It, it comes always with, with these words associated with the kingdom of God. There's always the gospel of the kingdom of God. Mark and Luke, on every page, on every paragraph almost, it's always about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Matthew calls it the kingdom of heavens. He writes to a Jewish audience, and they're a little bit more careful in using the word of God, so he uses heaven um, uh, instead of God. But it's the same idea. John, in his gospel, talks about eternal life, which is also a synonym, synonym for the kingdom of God. And now I don't have, we don't have time to actually go through this, but, but if we don't understand what the gospel of the kingdom of God is all about, basically we are missing out on the most beautiful revolution that is happening in this world. So let's do just a, a quick study from Luke about the kingdom of God. So Luke 4, verse 43. He writes, But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus was sent for the purpose of preaching the kingdom of God. Then in Luke 9, 2, we hear Jesus sent his disciples out to do what? To proclaim the kingdom of God. After Jesus died, is resurrected, you maybe know he had 40 days with his disciples. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Then we hear how Luke talks about the evangelist Philip and the apostle Paul. Acts 8, 12, but when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And the Apostle Paul, at the end of Acts 28, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You can't open up the Bible and, talk and, and hear about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. That was the central and most important message of Jesus. The gospel of the kingdom of God. And even though every theologian would agree that the kingdom of God is the central message of Jesus, it's somehow funny that over the last 1500 years in many churches we actually have lost 
talking about the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom? Because the kingdom language doesn't mean a lot to us, it's not as easy. Because we all not live in a kingdom anymore, we don't have a really an idea of the kingdom. You know, in German, the kingdom, the word for kingdom is Reich. We all know about the Third Reich. So we distance ourselves even from the word. So what is the kingdom of God? Technically, the kingdom of God is the domain or sphere of influence, influence in what you want to happen actually happens. So we all have a kingdom. If our body functions uh, is, is still okay and well, and we can say arm go up, and the arm goes up, and when I say arm go down, the arm goes down, basically my body is a kingdom. I, it's in, in my sphere of influence. My will is happening. My arm goes up, my arm goes down. Because everybody has a kingdom. We don't like it when people tell us what to do. My daughter is one and a half, and her favorite word is not daddy. Even though I conditioned herself to say daddy over and over again. But her favorite word is the word no. Nein. It even sounds better in German. Nein. Now my wife and I, at some point my wife told me, uh, we shouldn't use the word no around uh, with her all the time because that kind of, uh, you know, is not good. And, and so uh, she is convinced she doesn't have it from us. It's human nature. She says no all the time, nine, even if she wants something. She starts with saying no, just to make sure we acknowledge her sovereignty. Because, we already, because already small children learn that they have a kingdom. And we better not mess with their kingdom. And they just summarize it by saying no. Okay, anyone, anyone who has a brother or sister can relate to the following scene. Now my brother is two years older. He's, he's there in the back just in case you want to talk to him later on. Because of what I'm, I will share. But... He's two years older and when, when we were in the back of the car, my dad would be driving. I had my kingdom very clearly defined. And he had his kingdom clearly defined. He had toys in his kingdom and I had toys in my kingdom. But my brother did not enjoy living in times of peace. He could never keep his hand out of my kingdom and wanted to take my toys from my kingdom. I was always the one who was very happy alone, playing alone with my, 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 my toys. My brother could not just be alone playing with his toys. Strangely enough, his hand would be sneaking over, crossing the border into my kingdom, and I would have to smack his kingdom and a whole war would break out. Now my dad sitting in the front did not believe we had any kind of kingdom because he paid for the kingdom, the car we were sitting in. So in a very quiet, 
loving way, he would say, please, children, be quiet. No, he wouldn't. He would turn around doing that motion. If you don't shut up now, you will walk. Because it was his kingdom. And that always worked for a few minutes until that hand came over again. So your kingdom is the place where what you want to happen actually happens. Your kingdom is where you are in charge. And when we talk about the kingdom of God, we talk about a place, a domain where God is in charge, where what God actually wants is actually happening. God's kingdom is where God is in charge and his will is actually being done. And now the revolutionary statement of Jesus Christ is that God's kingdom will not only come one day, but somehow is starting in the midst of the mess of today. Now the Jews were expecting and still are expecting till this day that if the Messiah comes, that a new world will break uh, forth. There will be no more poverty, there will be no more injustice, there will be a whole new life. And so they could not understand how Jesus would say the kingdom of God is starting when they would look around and there was still brokenness all over the world. But somehow Jesus said what was supposed to happen at the end of times is happening in and through me in the midst of time and we are starting to set free, we are starting to heal, we are starting to bring beauty into chaos. Another way and maybe the best way for me to summarize this idea of the kingdom of God is a prayer that we've all prayed or at least have heard prayed many, many times. The Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now I prayed this prayer for many years and I had no idea what was this all about. Now, I even studied a few years of theology and nobody explained this idea of the kingdom of God to me. So if this is also maybe something new, you're not alone in, in, in this. I, I prayed this prayer. It's part of the Lord's prayer for many years, but I had no idea what I was praying. So your kingdom come, your will. And I want to focus on the word will. Now the word will, so I studied actually Greek for three years. And, uh, and uh, you get uh, the one word I still remember from Greek uh, today. So uh, it was worth coming to church. So this word is the word telema in Greek. The word telema in Greek can also be translated as will, like most English translations, as desire, as wish, as passion, or as dream. Okay? So your will, your wish, your desire, your passion, your dream will come true. So, so God has a dream. God has a passion. God he can't sleep at night because something keeps him up. Because he has a desire. He has a wish. And we actually get the, the answer to what keeps him up at night in the next words at the end of this sentence. God's dream is about for heaven to break into this world. You will be done on earth. Your dream. May your dream come true that whatever happens on earth 
is what happens in heaven. God's kingdom is not just something only about the future. Jesus said it's, it's, it's happening right here and among us. Instead of, you know, when, when I became a Christian, they kind of explained it to me this way. Now that you are a Christian, Philip, you get this ticket. And this ticket will get you to heaven. And I was getting excited about this ticket. And they, they kind of sneaked in and said, make sure you don't lose this ticket. And gave me all kinds of things I need to follow to not lose this ticket. Now, you don't have to worry. I know where I'm going where I'm dying. But going to heaven was not the primary message of Jesus. It was actually he turned it around. He, he, he actually embodied leaving heaven to come to earth. And in the Lord's prayer, he's praying, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's not just all about us leaving this place, but God having a mission to transform this world into the world it ought to be. For God even to leave the heavens in order to become part of the mess, the chaos, the brokenness. And he's now looking for his church, for us to become part of the people who are not just on the mountain, but actually are going down into the demon-possessed valleys of our lives, our cities, our communities, and to say that there's hope. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said it this way, A little faith will take you to heaven, but I pray for the kind of faith that will bring heaven to earth. God has a dream. He's on the mission to bring heaven to earth. Sometimes we have made it too complicated. If we want to know what it's all about, we just have to ask ourselves, what does heaven look like? Will there be hatred in heaven? No, that's why when we love instead of hate, God's kingdom is here. Will there be people in need in heaven? No, that's why when we serve and help people who are in need, the heaven is breaking in. Will there be poor people in heaven? No, that's why there are two, over 2,000 verses in the scriptures of our responsibility of taking care of the poor. Will there be homeless people in heaven? No, that's why we try to engage and help. Will there be loneliness in heaven? No, that's why wherever there is loneliness, we want to be friends and bring community. Will we exploit God's creation in heaven? No, that's why we take care of the environment. Will there be greed in heaven? No, that's why we give and are generous people. Will there be injustice and oppression in heaven? No, that's why wherever we find injustice and oppressions, we are the answer. We are the ones who are called to leave the mountain to actually do something about it. Will there be suffering in heaven? No, that's why wherever there is suffering in our world, we are the answer. We are the plan of God. We are the ones who pray together with God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Will there be tears in heaven? No, we know that one day God will wipe away every tear. But we already can become this, these people that start to wipe away tears here in the right here and the right now. And give some hope, some dignity, some love, especially for those who are suffering the most. The Apostle Paul calls the church the body of Christ. We are now his body. The temptation is to be reduced to being the mouth of Christ. We preach a lot and we sing a lot. Now, 
I'm a preacher, so there's job dis- uh, job security in it for me. So so let's not all th- say preaching or singing is bad. Preaching and singing are vital to what the church does. But we are more than just the mouth of Christ. We are also the hands and feet of Christ in this world. And if we don't go and if we don't serve and if we don't bring that peace of heaven into this world, God is looking for other ways. We don't pray thy church come. It's not about building a great church. It's about praying thy kingdom come. And there's a world of difference. We sometimes believe that the, that the church has a mission. But that's not true, technically speaking. The church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. The mission of God restoring this world, of bringing heaven to earth, has a church to help him in the process of doing that. And we are all invited to join in. Where is more hell on earth so that we can go and bring the kingdom? Where is brokenness, chaos in in our lives, our families, our communities, where we can pray together and enact with God together for heaven to become a reality. For me, when I understood this, I realized I'm signing up for the biggest, most beautiful revolution in all of the world. There is no political party. There is no, no, no other agenda, ideology that can even come close to what we as the church are part of, of transforming this world into the world it ought to be. And once we understand it, once we, we realize it, once we taste it, Jesus says it's like a treasure. You will, you will sell everything to actually get this treasure. Because all of a sudden your life has a purpose. Your life has meaning. The way you are engaging in this world, the way you are working in this world is making a difference. Because all of a sudden we are already the people that believe that heaven on earth is possible. Because by the power of the Spirit we are actually empowered to live this out. So we need these mountaintop experiences. I'm all for them. But at the same time, we need to realize if we want to stay close to Jesus, he's on the move down into the valley. Brian Fickett, theologian, put it well. He said, you cannot have the king without the kingdom. And you can't have the kingdom without the king. Now, depending on where you're coming from, normally you are drawn more to one or the, or the other. But you can't have the king without the kingdom, and you can't have the kingdom without the king. They come together. And I know when I read my scriptures that, that God is still seeking, looking for people who will join him. He is still going through the rows and asking who will go? Who will make the difference in this world? Who really is going to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world? Let me close with this story. So when I was 16 years old, I don't know why, but I was asked to to preach at a at a youth retreat um, uh, in Germany, aging 14 to 21, for five evenings in a row. 
When I got the call, I said yes. I hung up and I was like, what did I just do? I never preached a sermon in my life. So I had no idea how to preach. So the best thing I knew how to do is go to Google and Google sermons. And I come to this, this person uh, called Billy Graham. Um, maybe some of you know Billy Graham, the, the, the great preacher, evangelist of, uh, of uh, the 21st century. He's dead by now, but, but I saw pictures of, of how he would preach to a million people live. And I was like, if, if Billy can do it, um, I maybe can learn something from him. So I'm looking at these pictures and I'm, I'm seeing, I'm, I'm studying how he's holding up the Bible, how he's kind of using his gesture so, so that I would know what to do. And I, I found, I found um, a, a, a sermons from him, 43 sermons from a crusade in Charlottesville. Now, uh, maybe crusade was something else back then, but uh, uh, for where I come from, that's not a good term, so I crossed that one off. But uh, the, the, the sermons, I downloaded and printed out, and I had this stack of Billy Graham sermons. And I thought, I'm going to make the best out of the best uh, and, uh, and uh, made out of the 43 sermons, five sermons that I would go and preach. And so I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm excited. The first evening I'm speaking, I'm, I'm sharing, I'm, 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 Billy and I, we did a good job. Now at the end of the evening, one young lady comes to me and asks me the question, Philip, are you going to preach like this every night? So what I'm hearing is, Philip, is this going to be this good every night? But that's not really what she meant. So I said, yes, I'm, I'm going to preach like this every night. And she just shook her head and said, you know what? I brought three non-Christian friends. If you keep, keep preaching like this, they will never know God. With somebody with the gift of encouragement. They, we, we all have them in the church. You, 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 know, you know who you are. My, my dad came on the third evening. He listened. And now, if you know my family, we're not short of words. But he didn't say anything at the end of the sermon. He just left. A few weeks afterwards, I gathered up my, my courage and asked him, Dad, how did I do? And he looked at me and said, Philip, I've never heard a sermon shouted in half sentences. But somehow it worked. So I had no idea what I was doing there these five evenings. But then it comes to the last evening and something unbelievable happened. We, 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 we had, I, I, I preached and we just had a time of, of just kind of opening up to, for people to, 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 to have an encounter with God. And I tell you, I've never experienced something since then that was like that evening where, where I felt like God just took over and, and, and people, all these three girls became Christians at the end of that the, 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 the week. We, we have people in in full-time vocational missionary work because of that, what happened during, during that camp. But I remember staying at the back and, 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 and kind of in my own spirit saying, God, this is what I want to be part of. And I kind of volunteered. I kind of raised my hand. I said, God, God this, is, this is what I want to be part of. If you are transforming this world, if you are transforming hearts, and if you want to transform this world, this is what I want to be part of. And it was almost like studying Isaiah. You know, he's in the presence of God. And then he hears the words, whom shall I send? 
And he says, maybe me? Maybe me? I still believe God is asking this question, even this morning. Will you go? Will you let your heart break for what breaks my heart? Are you willing to leave the comfort of the mountaintop and go into the valley? I really believe God is still calling. And we can sometimes get so comfortable. But God is on the move. He's changing this world into the world it ought to be. And if you want to join him, there's lots of space. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for this morning and thank you for these beautiful moments where we can encounter you. But God, I also pray that you shake us all up in our comfort and beautiful life here on Mallorca, that we seek how can we join your mission, how can we be involved in your dream, how can we bring heaven to earth. In Jesus' name, amen.
that of this beautiful family, Lord, that we will go through stuff, that we know that we go through stuff, but you love us no, uh, just as much, Lord, that you are the friend that we can count on. And the timing is not always our timing, but we can know for sure, Lord, is that with you, we are indestructible. That you will work everything together for good. And Lord, that even the biggest enemy that we have, which is death, will not be able to steal anything from us. We will gain it all with you. We are so grateful, Lord, for our hope, a living hope. And help us, Lord, to grow in a loving relationship. Work by your Holy Spirit in us. If we're dead, say, Lazarus, come forth. Breathe life into us, Lord, with you. Cause us to grow, even as we read earlier, real people in a real world with a real God. You, Lord, to know you personally. In Jesus' name, amen.